0: Hello and welcome to the Create Dance for Dementia podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the Edinburgh Centre for Research on the Experience of Dementia, also known as eCred. My name is Martin and I'm a lived experience researcher. Who has dementia, a rare form called posterior cortical atrophy, diagnosed in 2016. I'll be your host for this podcast series. At Bcred, we've been running a research project that aims to co create a research agenda to facilitate equitable dance for dementia. And in this podcast series, we'll be discussing some of our key learnings with expert guests. In this first episode, we're exploring the theme of co production and dance for dementia with our two guests, Willie Gilder and Lisa Sinclair. Willie is a lived experience researcher who is very active in our e community and Lisa is Senior Dance Health Manager at Scottish Ballet. To introduce our topic, co-production is an approach to research where all participants work together on the research issue without privileging one type of knowledge over another. This includes ensuring that those with lived experience are at the heart of research processes, seeking equitable inclusion at every stage. As we say in the context of dementia research, nothing about us without us. So, we'd like to explore today what co-production means for the future of research in the field of dance for dementia. So I'll start with you, Willie. Would you be able to tell us a bit about yourself and your initial thoughts about why co-production may be important for future dance for dementia?
1: Yes, yeah, sure. So uh, my name is Willie Gilder. I live in Edinburgh. I'm age seventy, and a couple of years ago, I was diagnosed with uh, Alzheimer's disease. It's a sort of slightly odd form of Alzheimer's disease that I have it doesn't affect my memory. It does have some effect on my eyesight and uh, my um, working memory is a bit compromised one of the things that happened to me after I was diagnosed was that I started to become quite involved with lots of different groups people campaigning on behalf of people with dementia and people interested in research and traditionally research in dementia has been kind of um, biomedical you know we I mean, everybody hopes for a cure and, and there's a the possibility of that on the horizon now but there's all those other areas of research into how us folk with brain disease can live better and lead happier healthier lives because you know we shouldn't just be written off so i'm interested in the whole notion of how we can become involved in that research not just so that you know, we get rung up by students every now and then to say, can you take part in this study? But so we can have some kind of say in the sort of study that we think is useful. And it's, a, I think it, not least it's a good idea because it helps keep brains active. And we know that the more active you can keep your brain, then the more active you are likely to stay mentally. Um, and, and the more you can stave off progression of, of whatever brain disease you happen to have. So um, I'm a bit of a fan of the idea of getting involved with research, uh, which means I spend far too long on Zoom calls. Thank you very much, Willie. And now
0: Lisa, it would be great to hear your thoughts.
2: Thank you so much, and lovely to, to, to speak to you, Martin and Willie. I'm Lisa, and as you said, Martin, uh, I work for Scottish Ballet, and we run a, a dementia-inclusive programme called Time to Dance. And I feel, I mean, I really connected in with what you were saying, Willie, about staying active for longer and quality of life being really, really hugely important. And for us, we feel that co-production is at the heart of that because we really feel that in order for Dance for Dementia programmes to be truly personal-centred, to be relevant and to really hold meaning for people living with dementia, then they really need to be part of the design of the programmes not only the research but the actual programmes themselves because without that, it really lacks that meaning and it lacks that integrity. And so for us, we really want to ensure that we're able to create safe spaces where people can feel respected, to build an environment of trust and equity. Equity is hugely important, creating equitable spaces because actually... We don't want people to feel like patients when they come into these programmes. And I think that that's really important to shift that dynamic so that people who are coming into dance programmes are dancers, they're artists. And it shifts that and really creates that sense of ownership in the programme as well. I think that's hugely important in the future of Dance for Dementia, bringing people with lived experience and those around them to form a community of support uh, from the outset. Thank you very much. I would just like so add my own personal
0: point that I call co research cat writ to the brain because that kind of I find that the more I do, the more I need to do. But however, Willie, co production is limited in the field of dance for dementia research. Why do you think that is? What needs to change to facilitate co production in the future? I think
1: it's limited in all kinds of areas. Actually, traditionally, it's limited because you know we have experts. We have academics, and the world of research is quite esoteric, really, because researchers and academics tend to think that long words are important and tend to use kind of complicated language, and trying to read academic papers isn't easy, necessarily. And in the world of dance, I think it can seem like quite a closed world, actually. You know, I've, I've since, since the seminar in Edinburgh, I've become a little bit involved with the dance world, not just doing some dancing, but doing some drawing of, of dance. And I go along to uh, the dance-based studio in Edinburgh, and, you know, here are all these tremendously fit people. And I'm quite an unfit person. I'm, 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 I'm certainly not as slim as some of the dancers that I'm drawing. And that can seem a bit scary from the outside. Um, these folk have their own physical language, you know, I've they, 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 been drawing an, uh, a fascinating group, which is an improvised dance group. But you can see how when the dancers relate to each other, they kind of understand what move the next person's going to make. Sometimes it goes wrong and they end up in a great huddle on the floor. But much of the time, one person makes a move with their hands and, and that's responded to by another person making a move with their hands. And, and you realise that these folk have been, you know, they've been doing this for years so they have their own physical vocabulary and i and i think that can seem difficult to those of us who are not in that tradition because you know my tradition of dance is student discos where i i pop around and i i did once feature on a bbc website as an example of bad dad dancing luckily that page has now been taken down and and I was always hopeless at things like country dancing because I could never remember beyond the first two moves. So I think things like dance can seem like a closed world to those people who are not in it. My recent experience is, you know, it's a very welcoming world, actually, and that, that even though I'm very unfit and not very elegant, people are only too happy to say, well, come and join in and have a bash and see what happens, and, and and that's great. But those are, I think, some of the reasons why getting involved with research is is and, and research in dance can is tricky. There are barriers. Well, what do you say to that,
0: Lisa?
2: Well, firstly, Willie, I have seen your drawings and they are exquisite. They're they're absolutely stunning. So I really want to want to share that feedback with you. I'm also pleased to hear that your more recent experiences have led you to feeling more welcomed in that space and started to to have an impact on the perceptions of dance. And I think perception is really, really important and language that you you referenced as well. Because actually I can, I can absolutely agree and see why you have felt that in, in the past as well when you're seeing quite elite trained athletes essentially who are working at the very top end of their game, who have trained professionally for years and attained a level of technical capabilities that that, you know, are are, are stretched beyond what our average the average person would ever ever be required or, or interested in doing. However, what I would say to that is that there are so many and, and actually you you did reference this, Willie. You, you talked about country dancing and your bad dad dancing which i think would be wonderful and i would love to see that but i think that illustrates that actually there are so many ways of enjoying dance we can watch we can watch elite dancers in a theater or a studio and that's one way of connecting with dance but there are so many other ways to enjoy and experience dance whether that be in a village hall whether that be in a, a dance center like a beautiful dance center like dance space whether that be at a wedding, at a wedding doing a There are lots of different ways, and I think it's about encouraging people to find what's right for them and in the way that is meaningful for them, but also for people who are programming dance and also dance for dementia research is how do we meet people where they are? How do we learn what those barriers are? Because really, ultimately, it's not for those people living with dementia to change their approach to fit within our world. It's actually got to be the other way around. What can we do to make what we do support your needs? How do we need to change? How, how do we and what do we need to change in order to support you to be able to access that, that environment? And I do think language is hugely important. And actually, I'm going to, you know, we, we were in a meeting yesterday and a word came up a very academic word i think it was ethnography and actually you know not everybody on the call knows what that is so there's a really good example of ensuring that you know those rigid complex structures in which research and academia exists how can we break down the barriers and the constructs that exist within that to make sure that it is a welcoming and safe space for everybody i'm not an academic myself i'm an artist i would identify as an artist but actually creativity and storytelling and data exists in all of us so in some in some way actually we are all researchers and it's just about how we can create together those structures and those frameworks and those environments that enable everybody's voice to be amplified and for everybody to flourish at the point at that intersection but i do think that i think Maybe also, and this is me, I'm, uh, you know, I'm not the expert, actually. There's no better expert in this than the person living with dementia. If you want to know what matters to someone living with dementia, ask them. You know, there are challenges potentially around safeguarding, around ethics as well, and possibly stigma as well. And so how what can we do within research and creating those environments and our dance programmes to help address those things as well? And a lack of diversity, a lack of inclusion in in the process. What can we be doing to break down those barriers? That brings
0: me to my next question. Co-production is also about working in partnership with a range of different professionals. What role do you think dance professionals play in the research
1: process? I think it's as... Uh, Lisa was saying really it's in terms of reaching out and embracing and kind of drawing in and you know understanding that those of us whose dance knowledge is limited, (laughs) let's put it mildly, we're not going to understand if somebody says assume position one or whatever it is that people talk about in the ballet world and we're scared, (laughs) we're a bit frightened many of us Uh, we're a bit intimidated, we bring to any idea of dance all these worries that we have that we're not good enough that we're unfit that we well we're clumsy we've got two left feet etc etc now not everybody feels like that because obviously you know some people have danced all their lives or have different experiences of, of, of dance but when you're talking about older people brain disease and dementia are going to be older even if they have younger-onset dementia, they're probably going to be over the age of, of 55 or so, we start to get all kinds of health complications. I mean, in my particular case, I, you know, I, I've suffered from, from heart disease, so I have, I have a level of unfitness. So I suppose what needs to happen from the professionals, from the professional dance point of view, is they need to understand where people are starting from. Starting from mentally, starting from physically. And, and that can be a very baseline. You know, <laughs> I mean, get me to go from one side of a hall to the other, and I can be out of breath. But I was at a group run in Edinburgh by Dance base, uh for a uh, called accessible dance, and that's really what the person there did. You know, she was very accommodating and saying, "Well, actually, if you feel you need to sit down for all of this." Sit down. That's all right. Now, I can understand how, for some people, that could actually be quite difficult. For some professionals, I mean, that could be quite difficult because if they're, if they're in that world of, as Lisa was saying, you know, being a, a elite athletes and, and, and dancers, are very, very fit people, then trying to kind of understand that other people aren't in that world can be hard but equally, you know, I think it can be done. Can I just quickly
0: jump in, because I have a question for Lisa as well. I find it very hard to listen and do at the same time, so I was just wondering if you would be able to think of a way of personalising it for someone like myself, because that's another general question.
2: Absolutely, and I think, Martin, what I'll do is I'll maybe bring that into the, the wider question, if that's okay, Yes, yeah, so to come back to the question about what professionals can do and um, well, certainly the dance community professionals can do, I think it's it's really important to note that dance health practitioners have to be very experienced, not only have gone through professional dance training so that they have an excellent understanding of the body and how that works and creativity, but also they have to be very experienced community practitioners so performing on a stage for 20 years in itself is is wonderful but that doesn't necessarily set you up to be able to deliver work in the community and certainly the artists that that we engage with and that we know all across the world of course that are delivering excellent dance for health programs are exactly that they are people who have decades sometimes of experience of working with the community at a range of different levels and different settings. First and foremost, actually, having an emotional intelligence and social good communication and social skills goes a long way before we even think about any of the dance elements. Being able to engage with peop- people on a human level, being human and having empathy and understanding is, is actually really hugely important. And that's something that we're always looking for in the artists that we employ to, to help support the delivery of these programs being able to sit and have a cup of tea and a biscuit and creating a really special environment a really safe environment and a range of access points for people that takes into account that not everybody has danced before and it's not always for everyone actually and sometimes the people that come along are time to dance dancers actually sometimes the reason that they're coming along is because perhaps a companion or a family member has seen the program advertised and has said, actually, would you like to give this a try? And they come along together. So, for us, certainly, in my advice, you know, to the dance community or anyone interested in, in these programs, is actually exactly what you're saying. Really, think about all of the other things that are needed to make that person feel safe and welcomed into that space first. Actually, the dance comes second. So, for us, we have a social cafe before our class and after our class because actually bringing people gradually and safely into the space and just enabling them to have a moment to settle with a cup of tea and a biscuit is a really nice and safe and welcoming way to to bring people into the class. So that happens before we even get anywhere near the studio. And we usually have images of participant dancers on the walls so that, again, it's not only our elite performers that they're seeing. They're seeing the more representation. There's representation around them in the building, the building itself has to be accessible and dementia inclusive. And so do take, you know, do training in that. Get your organisation to to bring each Scotland or Alzheimer's Scotland in to support some of that so that your environment can be as accessible and dementia inclusive as possible. Then when you finally get into the studio, once you finally manage to, to lure everybody into the studio, having a range of access points is hugely important So although there is a structure and a framework to our time to dance classes, actually, our very experienced practitioners will often go with a loose plan and throw it out the window. Because actually, as dance is a living, breathing art form happening in the present, we very much respond in the moment to who we have in front of us and where that is taking us, that creativity. Creativity exists in everyone. It's very personal to us as individuals. And so we express ourselves in our own unique ways. And what we don't want to do in these environments is say, this is what you need to do, this is the right and this is the wrong. Actually, there is no right and there is no wrong. There's a framework, but actually that framework really exists to support people to bring their own individuality and movement and creativity out. So again, it's meeting people where they are. We would never expect to go in and ask people to... um, to do a triple pirouette and chassis coupe jetty or anything like that we wouldn't ever do that in these classes and if if that is happening then i would suggest that's not potentially the most inclusive environment it's really about fun creativity social connection a good blether music and finding finding the little things getting to know people over time actually Bob, he really likes when we play tunes from the the musicals. So we're going to make sure we have one of them in for him at this point. And actually, Jean, she does most of the class seated, but actually she quite likes to come up to standing as she's got a bit of physical support. So we'll make sure that Joanna gets over to her at that point so that she can come up to standing and enjoy a little bit of standing uh, movement. It's getting to know people, where they're at, essentially. But Martin, to come back to what you're saying specifically... I think you're absolutely right as well that sometimes it can be overstimulating, sometimes it can be too much and there is no one-size-fits-all approach to this work and I think that is so, so important to say that, that sometimes the environment won't work for absolutely everyone in that space and it's not for us to make those decisions or to force something onto somebody in those moments. It's about empowering people to make the choice for them. If something isn't working for them, where is a safe space for them, a breakout room or a breakout space where they can be supported to take time out to do what needs to feel comfortable then for them? Is there a member of support staff that we can pair up with that person so that there's a more personalised, gentle one-to-one approach? Because actually maybe being in a big group environment with music and this happening and that happening is not the, the best environment at that moment. But for us also as well, you know, working in care homes, or having on-demand resources, or visiting people in their home as well, having one-to-one more focused, shorter, gentler experiences that aren't all singing, all dancing, is also really important. So I think person-centred work and offering a variety of options and experiences for people to ensure that you are, you will never be able to to be everything to everyone, but to show that you are are giving consideration to as many different needs as possible is really important.
0: Well, I'm really jealous of all this. Well, however, we often see the same people involved with co-production. How do you think we can reach a wider audience? And is there anything about the field of dance that can be off-putting? And how could we tackle this?
1: I don't know who wants to go first. Oh, well, I'll, I'll try and have a bash. I'm not sure what my is going to be. <laughs> I do think that there is a problem with, with how do we get more people involved with co-production because, as I say, I sort of end up on quite a number of Zoom calls and things like that. And and sometimes you think, gosh, what meeting am I in? Because this is the same bunch of people as the last meeting I was in. And and I think there is a need to try and consciously involve many more folk. You know, Scotland is a very big place. Britain is a pretty big place. And around it, there are an awful lot of people whose lives are affected by dementia, not just People who have dementia and have brain disease themselves, but their carers and their and families. And I think we have to make a very conscious decision to try and go out to all the different groups that are meeting, you know, not just in the big cities, but in the small towns and in the villages as, as well. Now, that takes time and it takes effort, but it's the only way to do it because scattered around are people who are, will be going. interesting. But I think we've also got to understand that we need to find new ways of talking about research. And we need to kind of, well, we're not going to do away with the academic system, and we're not going to do away with, 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 you know, people writing papers with lots of footnotes and things. But that's not for many people. It's not for me. I've spent my working life working in radio, where you know, you have to teach people to write short sentences and where short words matter, not long words. So I, uh, uh, that, that's the world I want to live in, where, where we can express ideas very quickly and very easily. Now, I think that it is possible to actually construct research which does both of those things, which can work academically. And, and for, the, for, the, for the policy wonks who, who want to write academic papers, that's fine. Um, you know, and they want to get letters after their name and all the rest of it. But for much of the rest of us, you know, we'd rather sort of spend half an hour, just as Lisa was saying, having having cup tea and a biscuit and, and chatting. Um, but that chat can be chat with a purpose and it can be, you know, so, OK, you, you've just been doing this dance. How did it feel? What was good about it? You know, do you feel better having done it than you did before? Now, that's a little chat, and I'm sure it's the sort of chat which happens all the time when people take part in, in activities. Whatever the activity is, You know, whether it's dance or whether it's painting pictures or whether it's, it's doing bingo, those conversations happen. And I think they can happen with a purpose, and it's, I don't know what you call that, soft research or easy research or something. But I think we need to understand that going down the academic route and using the highfalutin terms can sometimes be very off-putting to people, particularly if we want to try and involve people in developing that research. And again, it's not necessarily going to be easy, but I think we ought to do it. Lisa?
2: Thank you so much. Willie, it's so interesting to hear you say that, and I think, yeah, I would totally agree. So much comes back to language and how we communicate and you're absolutely right. How how can the messaging around that be inclusive? And spoken about in layman's terms that actually we all understand. I think I also agree as well what you're saying about the geographic spread. So much is focused on the Central Belt area, but there is so much incredible work and so so many communities all across Scotland as well, from Orkney and Shetland right down to the the borders and everywhere in between. We worked with DanceBase to create a Dance for Parkinson's Scotland network, and what we were blown away with was we set up, helped to help uh, local partners to set up Dance for Parkinson's hubs in ten different areas across Scotland. And in each of those hub areas, each of those classes looked quite different. They, they, you know, they felt quite different. Each of those classes, even though they were following the same model and structure, you know, we were all really blown away by that actually how how wonderful that was how rich that was that real breadth and richness of experience that that really then fed into that wider community and so it's hugely important for us to be mindful of that 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 actually it's important representation is hugely important because if we don't widen that out we only ever hear a very very much a single perspective on this area of work and how that feeds into research, and it isn't necessarily reflective of the breadth of culture that that it really helps to shape Scotland and beyond as well. And I think it's really important to capture that. So, yeah, how do we reach out and connect with a range of different communities and cultures and celebrate that and celebrate that um, that diversity of culture that helps to make that landscape in Scotland? And I think grassroots organisations are a huge part of that and third sector organisations and support organisations, specialist support organisations, because they're on the ground doing so much incredible work all across Scotland. And so we can really be connecting in more with them, those organisations on a range of different levels, then hopefully it then opens those channels of communication across all of those communities. And also then, I think as well, having a range of access points, I'm not wanting to come back to the the previous discussion point too much, but thinking about how we make the activities and the environment really engaging, having a range of access points, is what we're discussing and the activity culturally relevant? If not, then what do we need to do to make it more appealing or more engaging or more culturally relevant? And just to also come feed into around a point around professionals as well, I think really engaging with and collaborating with health and social care professionals is hugely important too because actually if we can be bringing them in to work collaboratively with all of us from the outset, then they become champions as well for this work. And so it then has a really ripple effect, a knock-on effect, because it then means that we can have access to people on the ground that maybe we wouldn't actually be able to work with and connect with in the same way if we only stick within our creative environment. So I think reaching out is hugely important, but collaboration with grassroots and health professionals too. It's been a great discussion, but unfortunately, time's running out. So I have
0: one final question for you both. Do not be used as part of the co-production process and dementia research, and how do you think it could be done? Over to you,
1: Willie. I think it can be done. I think it's really interesting, the idea of using non-traditional methods to evaluate things. So, you know, traditionally, research has kind of given people questionnaires, and you've scored things on a score of 1 to 10 or something. But what's to say that you can't go to somebody... Well... Express how you feel about the last half hour by doing a dance. Now, I'm not sure quite how you, 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 you kind of capture that. And, I mean, obviously, you can video it. Well, I'm not exactly sure how you measure it. But, uh, you know, there are ways. And, and and if it means that at the end of the day we make a film rather than publish a paper, so we make a film or, or we publish a paper with, with links into bits of video or whatever, but I think we have to remember that one of the key things about dementia is it's a progressive illness. So it gets slowly worse. And it can mean that people can lose their powers of speech. They can they can find speech difficult where they can still move. So if maybe we can find a way to capture that movement and, and, and bottle it then fabulous. You know, let's let's try some new ways of doing stuff. Some some crusty academic somewhere will be going, Oh this isn't the right way to things. Well, you know, let's 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 move on. Let's try something different. Let's be wild and wacky. Lisa, what do you think?
2: I wholeheartedly agree with everything that Willie has said. I think you articulated it so well. I think there are different ways that we can think about how we can use dance. Not only thinking about dance as a tool for wellbeing in itself to help people feel connected and confident in their their bodies and how they inhabit space and how they relate to others in that space. There are obvious physical benefits, emotional, cognitive, uh, social benefits, but in as as a as a method for capturing data in itself. And this is an area in dance for health research that is starting to draw a bit of attention and developing a little bit of momentum in using it as a method in itself, um, having movement conversations and then analysing, using dance analytics to analyse that data as well. So it's something that's quite, it, it's, it's slightly earlier in its stages of development, but it's, it is something that is becoming more of an area of interest. But, you know, I think what you're saying, Willie, about communication and non-verbal communication is hugely important as well. And actually, dance doesn't rely on that verbal communication. It really offers lots of different ways of communicating and expressing. And essentially, it's, it's in the moment. It's in the here and now. So we aren't asking people to reference something that they did 10 years ago or reference something that they did in last week's class. We're working with people in the here and now and capturing that data in the moment. And essentially, I see dance and research as being quite similar in many ways. You know, we present a creative stimulus or a challenge, a creative challenge or a creative idea, and then we create an environment or a framework for those individuals to respond to that using their body, using their expression, emotion, creativity, musicality, using all of those things so that they then can express that and we can help to share and capture those stories and essentially i see i personally see researchers doing that as well about gathering data and then presenting that in a story as a story and sharing that so dance does that dance has always been used to tell stories in lots of different ways and we all have our own stories to tell we all bring creativity and that creativity and stories ours to share and that never leaves us and our ability to feel emotion and to express ourselves belongs to us, and we own that. So, I I really feel that um, yes, dance dance could be a really powerful tool in dance for dementia research. Just to finish, one thing that
0: has come to me when you two were talking that eighty percent of communication is nonverbal, and if you like, most of what we most of our movements are dance like. So, kind of that. That's just come to me while you were thinking. It was just a thought. But thank you very much for your contributions. It's been great hearing you. Hearing you we could probably talk all day. Or, as Jack Hedrick might say, waffle all day. But thank you so much to our guests for their contributions today. This was such an interesting conversation. And thank you to our funder, the Royal Society of Edinburgh, for making this podcast possible. If you'd like to learn more about this research project, please visit www.ed. Dot AC dot uk forward slash ecr ed cred thanks for listening bye